Welcome, you're listening to a broadcast from Barnabas Foundation, your trusted partners for smart and powerful giving. Welcome everyone and to Barnabas Live. Today, uh, I'm Jack Strong and I'm part of the member services team and I'm joined by Adam Lopez. Um, to uh, He's one of our senior planners here at Barnabas Foundation. And we're gonna be talking about people in your plan. Adam, good morning. Good morning, Jack. Thanks for having me and good morning, everyone. It's going to be a great day. Uh, this session, we're happy to have both our members as well as their supporters. And uh, we're just really, really happy that you're joining us. Just want to give a few housekeeping things. We are uh, recording this session today, and it'll be available later um, for your use if you should want to pick it up. Um, that session will be available at barnabasfoundation.com backslash interactive or if you want, you can ask your development team that might have invited you here uh, to uh, be able to relay a link to you as well. But also today, if you have questions for Adam as he's making his presentation, please use the Q&A button that's available. The chat feature is disabled. So again, use the Q&A button and we'll get to those questions as we go through the presentation. So again, we're happy to have you here. Adam, let's dive right into the topic of who should be the people in your plan? Well, it's a great topic. Um, estate planning is a, a very important thing uh, that everyone needs to have done. And uh, as part of that, there are a number of individuals who are going to be in your plan uh, serving in key roles, uh, whether that be in roles of authority uh, or just as one of the people who are going to you've chosen to bless uh, with the assets that, that God has blessed you with. Um, so let's dive right in. Uh, the first one we're going to discuss is called the personal representative. Uh, now, the personal representative is the individual who is responsible for carrying out the wishes in your will uh, once you have passed. Um, and so they will be responsible for things. Uh, one of their primary responsibilities will be uh, gathering an inventory uh, of all the assets that make up your estate. Uh, and that alone can be uh, quite the ordeal. Uh, they need to locate all the real estate you own, um, retirement accounts, stock portfolios, life insurance, safety deposit boxes, uh, bank accounts, uh, sometimes multiple banks. Uh, I had one case in private practice where a lady had 13 banks. Um, and so the, they'll, that will be their first big hurdle is, uh, is accomplishing uh, the listing or the inventory of the assets. Um, They'll also be responsible for making sure those assets are appropriately valued uh, and then liquidated if that's what the plan calls for. Um, personal representatives uh, also are responsible for settling the final expenses uh, of your estate. Uh, so they will file your final tax return. Uh, they will pay the uh, expenses of your final illness, uh, funeral expenses. Um, if any debt is owed, they'll make sure that's paid off uh, as well. Um, they'll also be the individual, uh, if your estate, the settling of your estate requires some court action, uh, they'll be the person who will appear in court uh, on behalf of your estate. Uh, now, oftentimes they will hire an attorney to accompany them uh, to any necessary court hearings, um, but it's not uncommon for you know simple hearings for the personal representative to just appear uh, on their own. Um, so as you can see, there's, there's quite a lot of detail uh, that these people have to deal with. Uh, and often it's their first time uh, settling an estate. Um, anyone 18 years 
uh, or older can be nominated as a personal representative. Um, so it's a wide pool, uh, but there's some important characteristics when selecting that individual. Um, number one, integrity. Uh, that has to be key. Uh, you're dealing with a lot of financial information, uh, sometimes some sensitive family information. Uh, and so you want to make sure that person is a, a person of integrity and honesty. Um, dependability. Uh, if it's their, especially if it's their first time uh, settling in a state, uh, they're going to need to have some perseverance um, and, you know, be the type of person that and when they have a goal set before them, you know, they continue to press forward uh, to make sure that goal is accomplished. Because uh, you want your estate settled in a timely manner. Um, you don't want it to drag on uh, longer than is necessary. So dependability is uh, is big. Um, some familiarity with financial uh, instruments and uh, assets uh, is helpful, but not required. Uh, really what you're looking for here is just uh, a willingness to learn uh, if they don't have specific uh, specific skills uh, in those areas. Uh, typically, I saw if there was an accountant, a lawyer, or a financial advisor in the family, uh, usually those people receive strong consideration just from that fact alone. Um, but two of the bit, biggest characteristics, in my opinion, uh, number one, uh, are location. So your personal representative is, it's a very hands-on job uh, in a lot of cases. And so if the person you've nominated uh, to do this job lives on the other side of the country, um, or, you know, I even had one case where someone recommended someone out of the country, uh, you know, that's going to be a problem, especially if there's significant time differences. Uh, it usually leads to them having to hire someone on the ground, uh, which is another, you know, expense to the estate. Uh, so if it's at all possible, and it's not possible in every situation, you know, pick someone local. Um, and then the final characteristic I, I wanted to mention is communication. Uh, it's very important for the personal representative uh, to provide consistent and clear communication to the beneficiaries. Uh, as to what's happening with the settling of the estate. Uh, sometimes uh, you hit bumps in the road, real estate might not sell, uh, financial institutions uh, might not be responding to your calls or your emails uh, to release life insurance funds or uh, retirement funds. Um, so just keeping them up to date uh, can avoid a lot, of, uh, a lot of potential trouble down the road. Uh, it, when I was in private practice, I did represent a number of estates that were contested. And usually the problem stemmed from the beneficiaries believing, whether rightly or errantly, uh, that the personal representative wasn't doing their job. And so uh, they would sue to force the personal representative to give an accounting to the court. Uh, and usually these cases boiled down to the personal rep was just not communicating effectively. You know, things were fine. Uh, there just was hurt feelings or grudges between everyone and the communication wasn't there. Uh, so you want to make sure your personal representative uh, will communicate uh, with them. Um, so they're an important piece of the puzzle. Um, the next group of people uh, that are important are obviously the beneficiaries. So these are the individuals and organizations uh, that the Lord has led uh, the creators of the estate plan to include as beneficiaries in their estate. Um, usually there are two groups of beneficiaries. There are those beneficiaries that receive a portion or a share of the estate. Uh, so often you'll see if a, a family has five kids, uh, once the parents pass away, each kid receives a 20% uh, share of their estate. Um, but there are also those beneficiaries who receive specific items of property. Uh, we call these specific distributions. And these can range from 
you know, grandpa's rocking chair, uh, things of sentimental value, uh, coin collections. Uh, I once had uh, a gentleman who passed away. He restored a car uh, with his nephew. And so he wanted to make a specific gift to his nephew of the car because that was something they, uh, they worked on together. Um, they can also be things such as gifts of cash. Often I would see grandparents leave uh, a specific gift of cash to their grandchildren uh, as kind of a gift of love uh, from their grandparents. Um, you can also gift things as valuable as real estate with specific distributions. Um, sometimes there's a family property in the country or up north. Uh, maybe cousin Ernie uses the small fishing shack in Canada and no one else goes up there. So we'll give that, you know, we'll give that shack to cousin Ernie so he can keep fishing. Um, Sometimes you're on both lists. You receive a share uh, of the general distribution, uh, but you also receive some specific uh, items uh, there. So there's a lot that goes into the deciding, especially the specific items. People really, once they understand they can do that, uh, they will take the time to sit and consider, you know, who should get what. Um, now, there are considerations for each uh, beneficiary that people should think about when, uh, when naming them. Uh, number one, you know, how much uh, is too much uh, is a question that should be forefront uh, in people's minds. Um, God has given us each different gifts and we all have different weaknesses. Uh, for some people, the handling of money is just not one of their strengths. Um, and as you know, inheritance is supposed to be a blessing. And so as good stewards, you want to make sure that whatever beneficiaries you select, uh, that if they need additional safeguards, um, for their inheritance that you make sure those are in place. Uh, so for example, if someone has a, a, you know, if you think the lump sum inheritance is too much uh, all at once, uh, you can do what we call metering. Uh, now metering is spreading it out over time. And I've seen, you know, there's all sorts of examples. You can, uh, one estate I did waited till, they had to wait till they were 45 before they could obtain their inheritance. The hope there was, you know, they'd have obtained a certain level of maturity before the money became theirs. Um, you can also start earlier and then just spread it out. Uh, so you, they receive a portion at 25 years old, uh, another portion at 30, another at 35, and the remainder at 40. Um, so that can be a useful tool for people who maybe just receiving the lump sum all at once is not a great idea. Um, but there are broader issues to, or bigger issues too when it comes to you know things like uh, gambling addiction, drug addiction, uh, beneficiaries with these types of things. It might not be wise for them to handle the money at all. So in your will, uh, you can provide for certain special, special trusts uh, that deal with these situations. And your personal representative will become the trustee of those trusts and their job will be to spend the money on behalf of the beneficiary. So typically the language is such that the beneficiary can request uh, that items be purchased for them, uh, but they have to be related to their health, education, maintenance or support. Um, and the trustee or personal rep has discretion uh, on whether or not to grant those requests. Um, finally, there's some other considerations that uh, have to do with people with either physical or mental disabilities. Uh, usually these individuals are on uh, federal or state or both uh, programs that provide them financial and insurance type benefits uh, to help them live their lives. Um, receiving a lump sum inheritance from an estate will kick those people off of their programs. And then it can be a long process to get back on. Uh, so there's something called a special needs trust that you can uh, implement uh, where you supplement the income of those individuals without getting them kicked off of their program. 
Um, so these are just some of the uh, some of the major considerations for uh, for beneficiaries, um, and it's important to discuss those thoroughly, you know, with your attorney as you as you put together your estate plan. Adam, uh, it's uh, just great information to be having, and it's a lot to consider. Um, you know, especially the responsibility factors. You know, mm -hmm. that making the decisions, but also who are reps. I know we've got a couple of questions from folks already in the audience that are asking about, you know, is the personal rep also supposed to be, um, you know, the DPOA or, you know, can they be both a beneficiary and a not, you know, non-beneficiary? Uh, are those some considerations that folks should consider? Absolutely. Uh, one question I get all the time is, you know, if you have a full, uh, if you have a large estate plan, well, let's say you have a trust. Uh, you're also going to have wills that go with that trust, and you're also going to have powers of attorney, financial and health care. Uh, and so if you select different individuals for each of those roles, you're going to have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, and so my typical recommendation to individuals is uh, when you have a trust or a will, the trustee or the personal rep, that should be the same person. And the agent for your financial power of attorney should also be the same person. Uh, and the reason for that is if you are in a car accident, you go into a coma, uh, your power of attorneys are going to be activated, uh, but your estate plan documents will also have clauses for what happens when you're incapacitated. So if you have two different people listed on those documents, um, there's just more people making decisions than is necessary. Um, as far as whether or not people should be beneficiaries or, or if the trustees or personal reps should be beneficiaries or non-beneficiaries, it's really dependent on the family dynamic. Um, everyone's families are different. Um, for some families, they feel, you know, let's say they have three children and they're having a hard time deciding uh, which one of their children should be the personal rep for their estate. Maybe a neutral third party would be a good, uh, a good selection. Um, but it's not always the case. Typically people trust their family more than they trust non-family. So I would say more often than not, I see family selecting family as their first option, and then maybe a neutral third party as a, as a secondary option. Great, thanks for you know, answering those questions right away as we're going. If uh, others have questions, please make sure you put that in the Q&A section for us, and we'll try to get to those as we continue on. Thanks, Adam. Perfect. Um, well, we kind of jumped into this next one. I wanted to talk about trustees. Uh, so a trust is another document, another document that you can use for your estate plan. Um, and the person in charge of carrying out your wishes uh, in a trust, it's just like the personal representative is the trustee. So they have all the same jobs, except their job is relegated to the assets that are in the trust or titled to the trust. That's what they have authority over. Um, and so they'll have to make an inventory, they'll have to value things. Um, a lot of times with the trust, uh, if minor beneficiaries haven't reached the appropriate age, or if you have special needs beneficiaries, uh, that trustee is gonna be responsible for managing and investing the funds uh, that are held long-term in the trust. Uh, there will be specific language granting them that power. Not everyone's a financial uh, advisor or an investment advisor. So typically the language also provides for if you have long-term investment uh, as part of your duties, you can hire the appropriate professional uh, to assist uh, in that role. Um, the same considerations apply, you know, a person of integrity, uh, dependability, location, 
are key. Um, but there are options for uh, if you don't have someone local or if your family situation is such that you can't decide between your children, you can hire uh, what's called a corporate trustee. Uh, there are companies who provide this service. A lot of times they're law firms uh, or most banks have a, a trust administration department where their entire job is to be named as the trustee uh, for a fee, of course, uh, but then they administer the terms of your trust. Now, there are a couple benefits to doing a corporate trustee uh, if you feel that's you know, warranted in your situation. Uh, one is a neutral third party. Uh, so if you know there's high emotion involved in the estate, and sometimes that is the case, uh, it's good to have a neutral third party who doesn't have any you know, familiarity with the family or they're not vested in that emotion that's going on uh, in the administration of the estate. Uh, second of all, if your estate is very complex, it's probably not wise to appoint uh, you know, a family member who's not suited to handling that level of complexity. So for the higher level, more complex estates, uh, taking a look at a tr uh, corporate trustee is, is probably a good idea. All right, do we have any questions on that otherwise? There are a couple, I think that, you know, one of the questions out there, Adam, is what's the difference, you know, what's the base difference between a, a will and a revocable trust? Um, seems that's one of those things that's out there and a couple of people are asking questions about that or do you need it in addition to? Mm -hmm. And that's a great question and it's a very common one. Uh, so a will uh, is a probate document. Now, people have probably heard the term probate. Uh, it refers to each county in your state has a probate court, and the sole job of that court is to oversee the administration uh, of estates uh, that end up in probate. And there's ways to avoid probate. Um, a will alone is not one of them. A will is simply uh, a document for the probate court to tell the court, what are your wishes? And then the court will make sure that those wishes are accomplished. Um, a trust is actually a legal entity, uh, like a corporation or an LLC. Uh, and because of that, it can hold title to assets. So when you title things to a revocable living trust um, or list the trust as the beneficiary once the husband and wife are, uh, pass away, those assets are now owned by a legal entity. Um, and so you avoid probate in that way. So for example, in Wisconsin, uh, where I'm calling you from, uh, if a husband and a wife pass away and they just had a will, uh, and their assets didn't specify any specific beneficiaries on them, so everything was in their estate. Uh, if your estate is worth $50,000 or more, by law, the probate court has to oversee the administration of your estate. But if you have your assets titled to your trust, uh, you're going to avoid probate because you're, there's something legal that owns them. Deceased individuals, uh, they can't own property anymore, which is the reason for probate. Sure. Well, that's great. Thanks, Adam. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so one of the biggest uh, people or most important people in your plan, uh, and this is usually for parents with minor children, uh, is a guardian. Um, the selection of this individual or individuals often takes the longest uh, when forming an estate plan, and for good reason. Um, you're trying to decide who are the individuals or individual that's going to care for your children should uh, something happen uh, to you. Um, so some of the important characteristics uh, to consider is, you know, are they spiritually aligned? 
do they, you know, oftentimes people would, they'll either do family or someone who attends their church because they know they have a similar spiritual focus. Um, but generally you're, you're looking for someone who you think is going to continue your tradition of the spiritual, physical, and uh, emotional well-being of your children. Um, and you really want to make sure that you have this, these people stated specifically in your estate plan, uh, because once, uh, once the parents were to pass away, the court, there's a guardianship court, the first thing they look at is the estate plan uh, to see if anyone was nominated. And that person, 99.9% .9 of the time, is going to be appointed the guardian by the court uh, because they were listed in the estate plan. If no one is listed in the estate plan, uh, each state has a series of statutes that allow for a certain pool of people, it's usually close relatives, uh, and from that pool, these people can petition the court that they should be the guardians. Um, and so sometimes that can lead to situations where different people in the family are both petitioning the court of why they should be a better guardian, uh, why they should be the guardian of the children uh, rather than the other family members. So you can take that whole decision process uh, off the table by simply considering uh, and then nominating uh, people to be the guardians uh, of your children. Uh, and we such touched a, on that's this. just such an important piece, I think, for many families out there, probably, Adam, and you've probably experienced that with, you know, a lot of folks that that's a big concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And oftentimes they initially, especially if they're young parents, they will nominate their parents. Uh, as the first guardians, but eventually the parents start to get old uh, to the point where, you know, that's no longer a good choice. So it's important if you do nominate your parents, you know, discuss with your parents, what is the point at which they would say, you know what, it's best if someone younger uh, takes over and then update your plan at that point. Great. Perfect. So the last uh, group I wanted to mention as far as the people in your plan are the agents, and we've touched a little bit about that. Uh, but these are the individuals associated with your healthcare power of attorney uh, and your financial power of attorney. Uh, now, these are documents that allow these agents to make decisions for you while you are alive, but you are unable to make decisions for yourself. So classic examples include, you know, someone was in a car accident and they're in a coma. Uh, someone has, you know, advanced Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, or it may even be that the person is well, they're just in the middle of a surgery and they're under general anesthesia uh, and there are decisions that need to be made. Um, so the power comes from these documents. So the power will dictate or the documents will dictate specific powers uh, that the agents have um, that allow you to sign you know, financial documents, make financial decisions uh, and uh, make timely healthcare decisions too in time of emergencies. Um, and so usually, as I mentioned before, uh, the financial power of attorney, uh, the first backup, because usually in all of these positions, your spouse is your first personal representative, trustee, guardian, agent. But after your spouse, um, uh, that first backup person between the wills, the trusts, and the power of attorney for finances, it can be good to have those be the same people. Um, typically, I see the healthcare power attorney, that's where there's a big deviation. If someone's named a personal representative or a trustee, well, then they're not at the top of the list for making financial decisions or healthcare decisions. So I see usually if someone's a nurse or a doctor or just a CNA, someone with healthcare experience, those are the, usually the individuals nominated there. 
That's such great information to know because I think a lot of folks have uh, struggle with those decisions. And uh, so it's great to have some insights. I know we have some questions out there as well, Adam. And uh, one of them is pretty easy one, I think, probably for you to answer is how often should somebody update their will or look at their trust? That's a great question. Uh, my general advice is that every three to five years, you should take a look at your estate plan, take a look at your life. Uh, if the your life goals are still matched by what's in your estate plan, uh, then go another three to five years without uh, making an adjustment. Um, that seems to be a good uh, frame of time to use. Now, obviously, there are certain occurrences in life that warrant, you know, making an immediate change, you know, the death of a spouse, uh, the death of a child, uh, retirement, um, things like that usually warrant a review of the estate. So if nothing major is happening in your life, though, I would recommend every three to five years, take a look and go from there. Great. We have one of uh, our members asking a question of, you know, sharing your estate, one of our documents that we have, um, asks, you know, how much of the details should one share? Um, and I'm guessing that's a lot of how much do we reveal about all of this and to whom? Mm -hmm. And that's a great question. Um, and I would say it, it depends on the family situation, but in most cases, I would recommend uh, having a family meeting uh, with your kids. Once you've settled your estate plan, um, call a family meeting. Have the attorney who drafted the plan uh, come there uh, to answer any legal questions that the kids might ask. Um, but typically, and I've been at a number of those when I was in private practice, um, and there's a lot of fruit that's born out of those meetings because the parents are being uh, open uh, with the kids and just saying, look, God has placed us in control of these assets. And as such, we have made these decisions together you know, prayerfully but we wanna let you know, this is what they are uh, so that there's no surprise, there's no confusion. Um, and then welcome their questions uh, as far as, you know, why did you choose this? You know, what led you to believe the Lord, you know, led you to, you know, give this amount to ministry and give this amount to us. Um, some people, you know, and some people prefer, they don't want their kids to know. So there's, it's really, it's based on preference. And I suppose there could be some times where Maybe it's best they don't know everything, but I would lean on the side of let your kids know. Um, your la your will and testament or your trust is kind of your last letter to them. Um, you know, let them know they're loved. Give them a heads up of what's coming, and that way, there's you know, your memory won't be uh, they they won't have negative associations with the estate plan when going through that. So yeah, I've been blessed to be involved in a couple of those meetings as well uh, as a person who was involved with a ministry and. It was great conversation sometimes to hear about sharing about the ministries that they're going to support and why. And it's kind of passing along that stewardship from one generation to another. Mm -hmm. So kind of a couple other questions out there for us, Adam. Um, one is we have no children or heirs. Um, how do you select somebody to, you know, kind of take care of these things? And does Barnabas provide any referrals for professionals in that area? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, in, in those instances, uh, I always ask people, you know, do you have any trusted friends in your church that you would feel comfortable appointing uh, as, you know, either personal representative or trustee of your estate plan? Um, if not, and sometimes, you know, I've met with folks who that's the case, 
Uh, then you want to look to the corporate trustee, uh, one of those trust administration companies um, to, that provide that service for you. Uh, unfortunately, Barnabas, you know, we can't do that ourselves. That's not a service we provide. Um, but depending on your location, we may have a number of referrals in the area uh, that we can point you in the direction of if you're looking for a professional uh, personal representative or trustee. I think another great uh, example here uh, in talking about beneficiaries is how does it work if I ask to uh, name a ministry as a beneficiary in my will? What does that look like? Yep. So there's a couple different ways that that can uh, be written out. Uh, some people will include each ministry uh, that they want to uh, bless uh, with their uh, the assets God has given them. Um, they'll list each specific beneficiary. Uh, now, the downside to that uh, style is that if you change your your mind uh, regarding a ministry or even the percentage designation between all the beneficiaries, uh, you're going to have to amend your trust. So you have to create uh, or your will. So you have to go back to your lawyer and, and have them create an amendment uh, so you can make that change. Uh, another way, and this is something Barnabas does provide, is we can be listed as the only charity in your estate plan. And then you execute uh, a document with us that tells us exactly which ministries you want supported uh, and in what percentages. And the benefit there is that anytime you have a, a change of heart or you want to make an, a, an, a, an amendment or an addition, you don't have to go back to your lawyer. Just contact us and we'll send you a new uh, designation uh, form for you to fill out. Uh, so we have the most up-to-date copy. Yeah, that's an easy way for folks to be able to really get their wishes taken care of as well. Mm -hmm. One last question, and this is something that's happening a lot, and is about donor advised funds. And how does that fit into the plan with either the will or trust? And how do how do those things get distributed after, you know, uh, after someone's death? Great question. So if, if you're an individual who has a donor advised fund currently with us uh, and in your estate plan, you also have Barnabas listed as the charitable pass through uh, for you to bless those ministries, um, those accounts uh, work off the same. Well, it's up to you. Usually we'll ask you, do you want one form controlling both accounts? Because you'll have an estate account and you have your donor advised fund. Uh, and typically people say, yes, if, if we pass away, we want those account, you know, those ministries to be the same for our estate account and our donor, uh, our donor advised fund. Uh, so we will note that in your file. And then when you pass away, the funds in the donor advised fund and the funds that come from your estate will then be distributed to those specific beneficiaries. So that works well for those folks that might have a donor advised fund here through Barnabas. Does it work similarly with other uh, places where that's at? If they have a donor advised fund from another financial institution, for example? So it would depend on how they have things set up. So if they're using that donor advised fund as their charitable pass through, uh, you know, then it would work in the same way. Um, some people, yeah, so it really just depends. Uh, on how the estate is set up. If they have those charities listed specifically in the will um, that they want to support from the estate, that might be different from the list they have on their donor advised fund with a, with a different financial institution. Yeah, the nice part with the Barnabas pass-through is that there's no cost to, to the estate and it'll just be taken care of, which is really a blessing to both ministry as well as to the estate itself. 
Correct. And another thing through Barnabas that's useful is you can actually designate uh, a, a representative that if a ministry that you listed has gone defunct or is no longer in operation, uh, this individual or representative, we will consult them uh, to see what ministry they would select. Um, and usually it's a family member or a close friend that knew the deceased, so they knew what was important to their heart. Uh, and so they can select a ministry that would uh, that they would confidently say the deceased would have uh, would have approved of. That's great. Adam, that's our time for today, but thanks so much for uh, joining us and answering a, a number of really good questions that folks had, but also giving us some really valuable information. We actually have uh, a couple of different resources for folks if they need more information. One is we actually have uh, materials on people in your plan. So if you want more information or just to be able, be able to review that, um, this document will be able to help you get further answers. And you can get a copy of that and get some ideas of the roles and considerations we discussed today by either contacting us here at Barnabas Foundation, going to info at barnabasfoundation.org, or calling us at 1-888-448-3040. And we'd be happy to send that to you. We also have another info sheet about choosing guardians. And that could be a great resource for you if you have any questions about that. Adam emphasized that today. So we would encourage you to look into both of those resources if you have even further questions. Last, remember that we also have um, this as a recording. So if you wanna come back and check it out later, that would be great. And you can find that at barnabasfoundation.com backslash interactive. And it'll be ready within the next few days or certainly by early next week. But if we had questions today that we didn't answer for you, please feel free to contact us here at the office at 1-888-448-3040. One other quick note for our members, we know that our conference next month, uh, the housing is filling up. Uh, we just wanna let you know that there's gonna be some other information coming to you as members about discount housing, or please contact us at the member services team and we'll give you more information. We're looking so forward to welcoming you all here to the Chicagoland area and having just a great conference. I know Adam, you're gonna be there as well. So we're uh, looking forward to gr really greeting people and making sure that they have a wonderful time and a great learning experience. So Adam, thanks again for being with us and for all of you for joining us today on Barnabas Live. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. To learn how you can give to your church and other favorite ministries in smart and powerful ways, visit www.barnabasfoundation.com.